Last week, we began to examine the face-to-face encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. But there's much more to the story. In the beginning part of the story, Jesus offers her living water. He offers to quench the deepest thirst that she has. Deep inside of her, her hunger, her thirst for relationship, for meaning, for purpose, is the exact thing that Jesus is offering to meet within her. And in the process, he reveals who he is, that she is the very one she and her people have been looking for. Now, there's more to the story because after she has an encounter with Jesus, she goes and tells everyone else from her village, from her city, about Jesus. And the whole village comes out and begins to listen to the words of Jesus. Later on, we discover that there was a great revival in Samaria. In the book of Acts, the people who responded perhaps um, the most positively as a group towards Jesus' message were the Samaritans. But set right in the midst of what Jesus shares with the woman at the well, and then his interaction with the people of her village, is an encounter with Jesus' disciples that's very important. I want to show it to you. We're going to, before we look at the fuller context, I want us to look at a couple of verses there in John that reveal a, a lot about Jesus and a lot about us, if we'll understand them. The disciples come back to Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 31, and it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Well, here in this passage, Jesus is explaining the work of the kingdom the work that he's assigning the disciples to do. And and it will literally come true in that right now Jesus is planting seeds amongst the Samaritans that the disciples later on will harvest in seeing many, many souls come to faith in Jesus Christ. But set within that is an interesting little uh, saying that Jesus has. He says that he has food that you do not know. And of course, the disciples are thinking he's talking about physical food. But Jesus is talking about that which nourishes the very heart of who he is. To the woman at the well, he offered living water, refreshing water that would flow through her that ultimately pointed to the person and work of the Holy Spirit that lives in the hearts and lives of believers. But Jesus here, as he's teaching the disciples and teaching us, He's showing us that not only does he want to quench our thirst, he wants to feed our souls. And he says that his food is to do the will of the Father who sent him. Now that's a very interesting saying. And in fact, it's a, 
It's a perspective that most of us need. I'm going to be honest and confess that for much of my life, I viewed doing God's will as a duty, as an obligation. Obeying Him was difficult. It, it was a struggle. But I'm beginning to see the wisdom in Jesus' words when we instead look at it as nourishment to our souls. What would be different if in your life you saw obeying God, doing His will, and investing and serving in His work as a feast? Instead of a duty that you have to perform, it is a feast that you get to partake of day after day that brings enjoyment, that brings pleasure, that brings nourishment to the very core of who you are. That's what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, and it's what he's trying to teach you and I as well. During this time of quarantine, it's been a good time of refining for many of us. In my own heart and life, I've seen areas where I've grown stale, where I've been looking for God's gifts more than God himself. And I've seen doing His will again as a duty, that we've got to get through this, get through this time, and, and then we'll really get to accomplish His work. Instead of seeing that it is a gift, that this season has been a gift. And in the midst of that, I want to share with you a, a simple little thing that, that God's beginning to teach me that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Instead of being frustrated in the midst of quarantine and seven canceled flights, um, and many other frustrations. There's been great blessings. There's been great joys. Our time with our family has been so sweet. My time with the Lord is growing sweeter and sweeter as well. And so he's teaching me to view things a little bit differently. And, and here's how it's come together, at least for my own heart and life, that I hope will be a blessing to you. I want to see each day as a gift that I give back to God. And that gift is, is a little acronym that I want to share with you. And it begins with the G of gratitude. Thanksgiving, giving thanks for his, God's goodness and the things that he's done, changes everything about us and about our day. When we choose to focus in on the good things that God has done, it tends to put the difficulties and the trials that we walk through into proper perspective. You see, even if... Today is terrible. It's filled with hardship and trial. Yesterday was filled with blessing. Yesterday was filled with the goodness of the Lord. And I can give thanks for that because He's shown me His goodness, even though we're walking through difficulty, even when we go through suffering. And in fact, we can discover as we get to know the Lord more and more that suffering is a gift as well because we learn to share God's heart. Well, when we begin each day with gratitude, with the G of the gift, it sets the right perspective and it reminds us of the goodness of God. The second thing, the I, is one that um, is really, really important. And it's this, immerse yourself in God's love for you and for others. When we learn to just recognize how much God loves us and how much God loves others, that changes our perspective as well. It lifts our heart, it lifts our spirit, and it changes us. And I want you to notice, it's not just immersing yourself in the knowledge that God loves you, but that He loves others as well. The motivation for serving and sharing the hope that we have in Christ 
is God's love. Oftentimes, as I mentioned, we see obedience as, as a duty. Jesus saw obedience directly connected to an expression of love. When we understand how much the Father loves us, and then we want to love Him back, it results in doing His will, in accomplishing His work. And so when we immerse ourselves in God's love, both for us and the love that He wants to express through us towards others, we touch His heart. So I want to urge you to immerse yourself each day in God's love. The G begins with gratitude. Gratitude for God's goodness, for God's grace, for God's person. The I is immerse yourself in God's love for you and for others. And then the F is feast on God's goodness and presence. That's what Jesus did. The thing we see about Jesus that is so intentional is that he is always slipping away to spend time with the Father. He had learned to feast upon God's presence as the nourishment of his soul. When we learn to do that, everything about our life changes. The Holy Spirit is free to guide and direct us. We find our relationships are filled with a lot more joy. And the burdens that we face are lighter because we're being nourished in the inner part of our being by God's presence. How would your life be different if you really chose to feast on God's presence, on God's goodness, and on God's work and will? To see that as something that we partake of and that nourishes our souls rather than a duty to perform. G is gratitude for all that God is. I is immersing yourself in His love. F is feasting on God's goodness and presence. And the T is to trust more fully in God's Word. You see, the more we get to know God's plan, God's purpose, God's working, the greater confidence that we have that even though everything around us is out of control, that God is working out all things together to, for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. He is working in the midst of hardships, difficulties, unforeseen circumstances, brokenness, suffering. He's working in the midst of all of it to bring honor and glory to His name and to draw people to life in Christ. The gift that we can give back to God is those things, beginning with gratitude, immersing ourselves in His love for us and for others, feasting on His goodness, feasting on His presence, and trusting more and more in His Word each and every day. I hope that will be a blessing to you and that the Lord will use that to transform your heart and your life. But now let's, let's look at the context of what's happening here uh, with the woman at the well and this city of Sychar and what Jesus is doing both with His disciples and with the citizens of Sychar. Let's look at the Word. We're going to again go to the Luma Project so that we not only hear the Word, but we, in a sense, are able to experience what it would have been like. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The story is filled with all kinds of elements. Did you see how important the work of sharing God's truth is? That Jesus is saying the fields are already ripe into harvest. God has been working ahead of time. He's planting seeds and he's going to use our lives as he used the lives of the disciples to draw people to Christ. That, when we recognize that truth, to see he's working and that he's preparing and calling us into what he is doing, and it gives us an, an eager anticipation to face each day. Lord, show me how you want to use me this day. Show me who you want me to talk with, who you want me to encourage, who you want me to email or call or have a conversation with. Lord, use me to bring forth the harvest of drawing people to find life in you. Well, Jesus gives us an example of how we are to do that, how we're to share the hope that we have in Christ with others. And it begins by an understanding that we all have the same thirst. Every human being thirsts for meaning, for purpose, for relationship. They thirst to be fully known and fully loved. That's what Jesus was showing the woman at the well. She'd been sipping the salt water of relationships that were broken one after another, trying to find something to fill the void within her. And it wasn't until she encountered Jesus Christ, who, yes, revealed the sin in her life, but more importantly, or at least just as importantly, revealed how He could fill her, how He could forgive her and give her the life that she was thirsting for. Do you look at the people around you and recognize they have thirst and that you and I have refreshing, life-giving water to share with them? Think about it in the context of this season of quarantine and social isolation. Many things became hard to find. And if you were able to go to Albert's and discover, oh, they have cleaning supplies, they have toilet paper, they have um, sanitizer. And then you were to call up a friend and say, hey, do you want me to pick you up some sanitizer while I'm here at Albert's because they've got some? 
your friend would rejoice. It would be, yes, yes, we need some. Or maybe you found an even greater treasure. They had masks and you were able to purchase some of those at the Lacarna and bring it back to a friend or a family member. They would rejoice because something they needed, something that was hard to find, you were able to bring to them. We've been entrusted with a much greater gift and resource. We've been entrusted with the message of eternal life. That's what God is calling us to share with others. And to do that, we need to follow Jesus' example. The first thing that we see is that Jesus was intentional. He had to go through Samaria, not just to meet with this woman, but he knew that this was going to be a lesson for his disciples, a lesson for us, and that he was going to have an encounter with all of the city of Sychar. God is calling, God is pursuing people, and he's invited us to be his hands, his feet, his voice in speaking his truth and his love into the lives of others. But we need to see that as a treasure that other people truly need and that they will rejoice over when it's shared in a loving way. So it begins by being intentional. And that starts by asking the Lord, Lord, show me who you're calling me to go to. Jesus knew in his spirit, knew in his heart, he had to go to Samaria because he had spent time with the Father, seeking the Father's will. And the Lord revealed to Jesus that he was to go to Samaria and there would be a divine appointment. The same is true for us. God has divine appointments all around us in the workplace, in our apartment buildings, in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store, maybe on the tram or on the metro, maybe on, um, somewhere on Facebook or on uh, an email or on the internet. God has divine appointments for each of us. But we have to begin by being intentional to look for them and pray that God will use us. Secondly, Jesus was willing to go to those that seemed unlikely. The woman of Samaria would not have been where most people, most teachers of Jesus' day would have went to share truth. But that was the very heart God was preparing. Would you ask the Lord to open your eyes as I ask the Lord to open my eyes to begin to believe that He is working? to expect Him to work in the lives of people that I don't expect. Maybe it's a family member that's been far off from the Lord, that's been rebellious or even, even hostile to the gospel. Pray for them and see if the Lord is beginning to open up their heart. Maybe He's used this time of isolation to soften their heart. Maybe it's someone who is uh, practicing another belief system in a sense, much like the woman of Samaria. But God may be drawing their heart to Him, to a personal relation with Jesus Christ. Ask the Lord to give you His eyesight, His vision, to be able to see how He is working. Jesus was intentional. He chose to go, and He chose to go to the least likely, to the one that no one else expected. He invites us to do the same, not just to the unlikely, but also to everyone around us. Just don't limit what God can do in you and through you. Be open for Him to do miracles and wonderful things in the lives of others. Next, we see that Jesus focused on the importance of the individual. Think about it. 
The God of the universe had a divine appointment with one woman. One woman at a well. She was incredibly important to him. Now, yes, he was, had things to teach his disciples, and later he would, he would speak to the whole city of Sychar, but his heart was focused on that one individual. He was pursuing her. How about you and I? Do we love others that way? Are we as interested in them as individuals, that we listen to them, that we show grace to them, that we love them as God loves them, that we take an interest in their life so that we can look for opportunities to be able to share with them eternal life through a relationship with Jesus Christ? Focus on the individual. Then next what we see is that Jesus established a relationship. He dealt with her as a person, not as a project. Remember what he said. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now we discovered last week that the imagery that Jesus is using was something that would have spoken to her understanding of the Messiah, of a a Samaritan understanding of the restorer. His name to the Samaritans in Aramaic was Tahib. They were looking for someone that would reveal truth and would bring a right relationship back to, to them with God and a right understanding of what worship was. And so Jesus is focusing in on her and establishing a relationship right where she is in her understanding. He didn't present a whole bunch of other information to her. He connected with where she was. That's what God calls us to do as well. Establish a relationship. Listen intently to their heart and to their life. Listen to where they're coming from and ask the Lord to guide and direct to give you the words to say the things to do, the acts of service, to be able to meet them where they are, just as Jesus has done for you and I and for the woman at the well. The next thing we see is we see how the woman's need, her thirst, became a bridge to a spiritual conversation. We want to find ways to serve others, to meet them where they are, to be instruments of connecting with them in their need so that it can open up and show them what God is like, His goodness and His love and His truth. So we need to pray for opportunities to serve others. That's so important if we're to be Jesus' hands and feet in reaching others and sharing with them the hope we have in Christ. But not only did Jesus demonstrate for us how we are to approach others, if you listened carefully, you discover that the woman did pretty much exactly the same thing with the people of her city, of Sychar. Here's a woman that some believe was perhaps an outcast, but she goes and she tells everyone in her city what Jesus had done for her, what he knew about her, how he touched her in the very deepest part of her. And and she's saying, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Savior? And many, the scripture says, many believed on account of her testimony. Then they came and they met with Jesus themselves. Jesus spent two more days there in the city of Sychar, revealing himself 
and revealing God's word to the people of that city. And many of them came to believe. And the end of the story is that the, the Samaritan said to the woman, at first we believed because of what you said, but now that we have been with Jesus, we believe because of him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that incredible? The woman at the well showed how we are to love others, how we're to, to reach out to them, to go and tell. Now, the important thing to, to recognize is she didn't have a lot of biblical training. She hadn't taken any classes in evangelism. She didn't know the four spiritual laws or steps to peace with God or any other gospel plan, but she had something better. She shared what God had done for her with them. We spend oftentimes too much time trying to put everything into the right box and have the right plan and program to make sure that we don't miss something that we forget really what we're called to do is to bring people to Jesus, to tell others what He has done in our life, to show them how He's changed us, and then reveal to them how He can meet them where they are as well. You see, that's the good news. That's the gospel. It's not about a plan. Yes, there are elements that are important. We need to recognize that we're sinners. We need to recognize there's no way we can get to God on our own. But the good news of the gospel is that God is pursuing us. He's pursuing them. And we simply need to reveal to them who Jesus is, what he has done, how he's changed us, and invite them to drink of the living water of salvation for themselves. That's what God calls us to do. It's not complicated. It's not really that difficult. But it does require us to be obedient and intentional. It requires us to go to others. It requires us to be willing to overcome our fears and to trust that God is working in their heart and in their life and that He would use even us. Let me give you a little phrase that's been so encouraging to me in sharing with others. Oftentimes we get nervous that we don't know the right thing to say, that we don't have the answer to someone's questions. And oftentimes we don't, and that's okay. But here's what's important. When we're relying on the Lord, when we're asking Him to speak in us and through us, between what we say and the other person hears is the Holy Spirit. He is the one working. I have seen conversations that I've had with others where they've responded back. So what you're saying is, and they, they give an explanation that went way beyond anything I said. And it was clear to me that the Holy Spirit was speaking far more than I was. He just was asking me to be obedient and to be willing to begin the conversation and allow Him to work. That's what He asks you to do as well. Are you willing to share this treasure of eternal life, of salvation, of meeting people's deepest thirst with those around you? Would you ask the Lord to show you who He wants you to speak to this week, give you the courage to enter into that conversation, to listen to them, to serve a need that they have, to care about them as God cares about them. And then as He opens up the opportunity, point them to Jesus, take them to His Word, maybe even show them this story and how this story has affected you and how Jesus changed lives with the woman at the well how he changed lives of the people of Sychar, 
and how He's changed your own life. If we begin to do that, church, we will see many more people find life in Jesus Christ. But it requires us to be obedient. So let me encourage you and encourage myself to begin each day feasting on God's will and work. To say, Lord, make the nourishment of my soul what was the nourishment of Jesus' soul. To do your will and to accomplish your work today. Nourish me with what you want to do. I give this day back to you as a gift. I'm going to begin with gratitude, giving thanks to you for everything you've done. I'm going to immerse myself in your love for me and for others. I'm going to feast upon your presence and your goodness. And Lord, I'm going to trust in your word. And then I'm going to obey. And I'm going to have conversations and share the hope that I have in Christ with others. That's the gift we can give back to God. And it's a gift that will draw others to faith in Christ as well.